All right, you're ready to study God's Word, right? Get your Bibles. You have 30 minutes. Turn to the book of Ezra. Two of you got that. I appreciate you laughing loud. Ezra. I got a new Bible this week. My my old Bible was just falling apart. I had pages falling out of it. That's not good when you have pages falling out of your Bible. And... Um, I just broke down. I've been taping the pages back in. I don't know about you. The Bible's like an old friend. And, uh, you know, you get one broke in and it's like your thumb just automatically knows where to go. And so I've only had probably, um, I think, only three Bibles up to this one that I've used predominantly. And so they've been lasting me, you know, anywhere from five to ten years. I had one that lasted me about a decade, but the whole thing was taped together and that just looks sad, doesn't it? It looks sad like a pastor can't afford a Bible. So I went looking for Bibles, and if you've ever done that, that's really frustrating. They've got 10,000 Bibles. Every version imaginable, every setup situation you can think of, and um, I was just on overload. The only thing I knew that I had to get this time was something with giant print. That's all I knew, that... I had to get this time. I have these transitional bifocals now, and uh, I'm getting, you know, used to them. You know, you're looking at everything like this now. So I needed I needed large print, and I found something that was a, a good size. You'll also notice, though, I got what I call the cheap Bible. I got those tabs in it. I used to make fun of people that had cheap Bibles. But I knew my message today was out of Ezra, and I didn't want to spend 20 minutes looking for Ezra up here because it was a new Bible. So I said, I'll just go ahead and break down and get the tabs. Have you found Ezra yet? You realize that's what I was doing. I was helping you have time find Ezra. This is our second Sunday. We started the fast last Monday morning, technically. We talked about it last Sunday, but this is the... This is the beginning of the second week for many of us that are in our 21-day fast. For some, I know you're doing the Daniel fast or modified versions of the Daniel fast. I know some are skipping meals and doing things of this nature. Um, others have other fasts they've entered into and variations. We've given you liberty to do that. I, I trust maybe you're considering something in this 21-day time period that you can push away from and just use it as an opportunity to exercise dominion over your soul and spirit and just get before God in particular through these 21 days at the beginning of 2010 and just seek Him and solicit His presence, begin to hear what He has to say for you, for your household, for your future, for this year. And uh, last year it was just, I believe, an important and powerful thing that we did, you know. A lot of times we want these great, big, dramatic happenings. And I love a dramatic happening. But, you know, the children of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness and God was refining them and working in them and doing things, you know, there, there were moments that he gave manna, which I would suggest is a dramatic happening, quail when they began to complain that they didn't have any meat to eat. But, you know, the Bible says that their shoes didn't wear out. 
And I realize we love dramatic things, but you know, if you get an extra 50,000 miles on your tires, I think that's a God thing, don't you? I mean, and sometimes we need to look at some of just the little ordinary things that are maybe just, you know, just maybe out of the ordinary. It's ordinary, out of the ordinary things that God works in, that we just see the goodness of our God. And, and I was visiting with a couple not long ago, and they just mentioned to me, you know, they did the fast. They really hadn't done anything like that before. But they began to reflect on the year 2009 and just realized that God had abundantly met their need and blessed them. And, and it wasn't maybe in a dramatic, instantaneous moment, but, but when you review just the year, it was just really, God was good. And I want to encourage you to do that. I mean, I would love for God to do something dramatic in my life or your life, but you know, if we set the year right, by giving him 21 days, consecrating 21 days. Uh, I just believe it puts in motion um, just, just a good spiritual tone that can see you through this whole year. So I hope you're doing it. The whole point is I hope you're doing it. And I'm trying to encourage you along the way. If you've not been to our new website, we have a new website, LegacyChurchSC.org, LegacyChurchSC.org. And you can get to the blog from there. You can navigate that. We're keeping the calendar updated. We have a nice little slideshow on the front of it that is getting updated. And, and so this is going to keep me from sending out those blog reminders. And we're just wanting to encourage you to use it consistently, at least on a weekly basis, but I'm blogging every day through the fast. So I want to give you some encouragement to keep you going. Amen. Have you found Ezra? I'm in Ezra chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading with verse 21. I don't know that I've ever preached from Ezra before in all my years of preaching the gospel. But uh, I've been reading the book over and over again these last few days. And I believe God has something he'd like to say to us out of Ezra 8 beginning with verse 21. You know, there are numerous times in the Bible that we find people fasting. And we're going to read here in just a moment in Ezra 8, an account where Ezra, the scribe, the priest, calls the people to a fast. And the reason he calls them to a fast is because there is a possibility that they're going to be headed into a battle. And whenever you're going into a battle, you need to make sure God is involved in what you're about ready to face. And I would suspect everybody in the room this morning today have either been in a battle, they're either in the middle of a battle, you're coming out of a battle, or maybe there's one right around the corner waiting for you because that's just the way it works when we're walking with our God. And, you know, I just started to look at how many fasts were, uh, were called in the Old Testament when the people of God were facing challenging moments. David called a fast when the Philistines had stole the ark of God and had taken it away. And he called the people to a fast in order that they would seek their God before they went into battle in order to retrieve the ark. And the imagery there is about, about needing the presence of God to come back into the center of, of corporate life. And they called a fast in order for that to happen. It was Jehoshaphat who when he was faced by enemies on all sides, there were actually three nations of enemies that were facing, uh, once again, the Israelites, Jehoshaphat being the leader, 
And he was outnumbered three to one, didn't know what to do. So he called a fast before they went into battle and God gave him an an unusual strategy to win that battle. Daniel was in a fast. One of the great uh, chapters, Daniel chapter 10. If you want to know where the Daniel fast came from, it came from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel was in the middle of a uh, conflict, a spiritual conflict. He had sought the Lord for 21 days, the scripture says, trying to get... Uh, God into his situation, trying to hear the voice of the Lord. And an angel appears and the angel reveals to Daniel that the whole time he'd been praying and he'd been fasting, there'd been this spiritual conflict that was shaking out in the heavenly realm where the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece were battling with the angel Michael. And uh, literally God had released the answer at the beginning of the 21 days, but it was through the 21 days that this spiritual battle was happening and 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 being contended for and and some of you were praying on monday of this week for god to do some amazing things and maybe you needed some breakthrough or you needed him to come through in a situation and can i tell you this is the good news on monday god heard your prayer and he released the answer but it may be contended for at this very moment and so the fast was called and even jesus himself After he was baptized and goes into the wilderness and he enters into the fast, the 40-day fast, who shows up in the wilderness? Yeah, the enemy. And all of a sudden he finds himself in this spiritual adversity. So it shouldn't surprise us uh, as we enter into these 21 days that we might find ourselves contending for some things. In fact, Jesus said on one occasion that There were some things that could not be addressed unless you prayed and fasted. You know, perhaps the American church has shut down because because we'll soar to pray, but we've lost the discipline of the fast. And maybe that's the reason why we can't break through into the next awakening. We can't break through into the next revival. We can't break through to the next level. Because Jesus said there are some things you'll never break through and break out of until you determine you're going to pray and you're going to fast. And if the enemy sees you fasting, I don't want you to fear about this, but if the enemy sees you fasting, the reason he mobilizes is because you now have become a threat to the domain of darkness. He's not threatened by people who come to church. He's threatened when people get down on their knees and they seek the face of God and then they take it up to the next notch. They begin to fast and pray. And so here in Ezra, we see the fast being called again. Ezra 8, 21, this is what we read. It says, then I proclaimed, Ezra writes, a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed, I underlined the word ashamed in my brand new Bible. For I was ashamed, you could actually put the word embarrassed there. It carries with it the connotation of embarrassment. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. Because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. Leap over to verse 31 and we'll finish with this. 
Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. I want to talk this morning on what I've entitled Fasting Warfare. Fasting Warfare. Ezra was the priest and the servant of the Lord that God used in the process of restoring the people of Israel back to their homeland there in what we now know as Israel, specifically there in Jerusalem in the Middle East. It's an amazing story. Uh, Because it had been prophesied both by Isaiah as well as Jeremiah that there would come a time because of the rebellion of the Israelites that God would allow enemies to come upon them, Assyrians, to overtake them and, and lead them into captivity. And the prophets prophesied that God would allow this captivity to exist for 70 years. And so for 70 years, the Israelites were indeed in this captivity. One of the most amazing things about really the word of God and the miraculous nature of the Bible is that, um, and I'm not sure if it was Isaiah or Jeremiah, but the prophets prophesied. Now we're talking at least two to 400 years in advance. They're prophesying, prophesying of the captivity. Now that in and of itself may not be all that remarkable because probably if you just had any historical acumen, you could, you could prophesy that for any nation there was going to come a time that it would collapse. And can I just say, for America, we've had over 200 years, and if we don't get our act together, we'll go the way of other collapsed nations. I'll let that one go for now. But if you had any historical insight, you could prophesy that the nation would collapse and go into captivity. That in and of itself may not seem all that miraculous. You could even throw out the date 70 years. And uh, maybe you would have some sense of, of being able to approximate how long it may last. So maybe that, maybe that isn't even as remarkable. But the most interesting thing, we're talking somewhere between two and 400 years in advance, the prophets prophesied the leader who would release them from that eventual captivity. They prophesied that it would be a guy by the name of Cyrus. And by golly... When the time came, there was a king that arose in Persia by the name of Cyrus. And he was the one that released the people of God in order to go back to their homeland. As a matter of fact, I was reading through this. I was sharing last night. We gathered the leadership. I was just sharing some things with them last night. And and, and the one thing that I really latched hold of in all of this was that Cyrus, a Persian king. Now, think about this. he's, He's a king whose heart is not born into the the jewish faith he's he's not uh he's not inculcated or enculturated or whatever the word is into jewishness so we would call him a heathen king and yet the bible says that god stirred the heart of cyrus and that cyrus released the people to go back to jerusalem to restore their temple to restore the worship of the one true god and not only did he release them to do that but he said he was going to pay the bill woo that'll give a pastor goosebumps right there i said lord let that be a word give me a cyrus 
I'll take a heathen king. Hey, they used to make fun of Oral Roberts when he had that dog racetrack owner give him a million dollars. Hey, I'll take a lottery winner. I don't care. I'll redeem it. Doesn't matter to me. You give me, you give me whatever it is. I will lay my hands on it and I will redeem it for the kingdom. And, and they got them a Cyrus. And so Cyrus, after these 70 years, released them out of this Babylonian captivity. And really it was, it was a multi-year project. It really happened in what I, I put down here as two phases. The first phase of people that went back to Jerusalem were what I would call some nobles and some workers, preparers that would be, that would be knowledgeable in the workings of the temple. And they would start the building project and, and they paved the way, so to speak, for the rest of the nation. Now, I also know that as the Israelites were going to go back to their homeland and they were going to travel those many miles, that there was going to be hostile forces, there would be hostile people. And I suspect maybe that early bunch that got released was just uh, uh, perhaps fighting some fights and making the way and making sure everything were as safe as possible so when the second wave came, they could come with as little difficulty as possible. And so what I read to you here out of Ezra chapter 8, is the account of this second wave of people. There had already been a first group that had gone back. They'd begun the restoration pro, uh, process. Uh, they'd ran into some difficulty here and there. But now the time had come for Ezra to bring this second wave of people back to Jerusalem, the homeland, in order to fully restore the temple and restore the worship of God as he intended it. And According to what we've read here, a lot of these people were a new generation. They were young people, little ones, the scripture says. There were young families with young children who'd never seen the old Jerusalem. Remember, this had been 70 years. So there were people who'd been born in captivity and they'd heard the stories of what God had done and how God moved in their old church, so to speak. But now there's this whole new generation that had never seen Jerusalem. They'd never seen the glory of God fall on the temple. They'd never seen all the things that their parents or their grandparents may have shared with them. It included a lot of young children. And here was Ezra uh, telling them that it was going to be okay, that this is what God had commanded. They needed to rise up and and. As he's telling them all of this, they're beginning to say, I suspect, back to him, Hey, Ezra, this is going to be a treacherous journey here. There's going to be enemies and thieves and robbers and people along the way that don't like us. We already know that. And you're telling us that that uh, we're just to kind of march on out of here and not worry about these things. And so Ezra had looked at him and he said, Hey, you're right. Don't worry about that for the hand of our God is with us. He's favoring us. He's opening doors. Don't you worry what we'll meet along the way. We're just going to go for it. Now, how many of you know when you begin to say that to a group of people who knows that there's some treachery and adversity and enemies that are out there, you better know what you're talking about. Because they're fixing to go into something that isn't theory. This is real. Now, Lezra, it was interesting. He had this letter from the king for safe passage. And so he, he had the opportunity, if he wanted to, that he could have asked the king for an armed escort. That was within his rights. He could have said to King Artaxerxes, Hey, Artie. Um, well, sorry, King Artie. 
we need, we need an escort here. Uh, we need an army to, to walk with us. But the Bible tells us that because he and some of the people had boasted of God's mighty hand of protection before they left, that they'd reached the point where it would have been an embarrassment if he were to have asked for an armed escort because it would have diminished the testimony that they had given that their God was who they said he was. They'd already heard reports that the people who had gone ahead of them had already faced adversity. The enemies had hired people, the scripture says. They hired what they called counselors. I don't know what kind of counselors they were. But they hired people whose full-time job was to discourage the people of Israel from rebuilding their temple. And so they knew that there was going to be a challenge. They had the right to ask for an army to accompany them. But Ezra felt like it would look somewhat hypocritical or weak if they were to take advantage of it. So he said, we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to believe that God goes with us. And what we said he would do, we're going to believe that he'll accomplish exactly that as we march back to where we're supposed to go. Now, they fasted, and the scripture says here that they had three areas that they wanted God to move in, most specifically. Number one, the Bible tells us they petitioned God for guidance. It says here that uh, they humbled themselves to seek from him the right way for us. They needed to know the right way to go and not walk in a wrong direction, not be ambushed, not uh, ensnared not fall into a trap. And so Ezra said, we need to fast because we need to know the right way to go. How many of you know that you and I, we need to fast in order that we know the right way to take our lives? We don't need any more confusion from the world's experts. We've just went through one of the most difficult periods in my personal lifetime with regards to uh, enemies of ter- terrorism, enemies of economic enemies. We have faced some of the most difficult times we had faced in decades. And I've listened to experts tell me you should do this and you should do that. And, and all of them are wrong. You can get your expertise from your Dr. Phil's and your Oprah's and your Tira's and your Ellen's. And you can listen to Uh, who they put in political places of power. I'm telling you, the time has come. I don't want to hear what man thinks. I want to hear what God thinks. What's God saying in all of this? How do you, how do you know? Look at, how do you know that you should take the job that's in front of you or not? How do you know if you should move and do what you should do? How do you know that you should get into this relationship or out of this relationship? How do you know if you marry this person or that person? How do you know, should I buy this expensive thing or should I save my money? How do I make this critical decision? I mean, you'll find friends and family who will give you all sorts of advice, but they said they needed to fast in order to hear from God the right way to go. That's why we're fasting, so that we can hear the right way to go. That was the first petition. The second one was they petitioned God to protect the little ones, to protect the little ones. It was important to protect the next generation because I have found that that is the strategic place the enemy likes to take people out, is in the next generation. He usually focuses on the next generation. It's because they're impressionable, they're pliable, they're moldable. And if he can get into the next generation, you see, we don't, we don't think generationally. 
spiritually, God thinks generationally because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He always thinks in terms of at least three generations. And I will assure you because the enemy at one time spent time with God in the heavenly realm before he fell, he understands generational concepts as well. You know, Christians aren't very good when it comes to generational thinking. We want instant, dramatic, fast now. And I believe Jesus could indeed come at any moment, but he says that we're to occupy until he comes. And I believe that while we await his return, we've got to begin thinking a little bit more generationally at times. I'm telling you, the enemy zeroes in on the next generation and he he wants to get a hold of them. And it was particularly critical for this group in Ezra's time because remember what I said, they had never seen the temple in all of its glory. They had never seen God move in old Solomon's temple. Remember when Solomon's temple was dedicated, it says that the cloud of glory came and the priests were unable to stand and the people fell on their faces and God moved and it was awesome and incredible manifestation of the presence of God. But they had never seen this. They were the generation that had never seen this. And so they would be particularly susceptible to being ensnared by the enemy. And one of my greatest prayers has been for my own children, and believe it or not, for your children, has been that somehow the next generation sees and experiences the presence and the power of God. Listen, some of us in this room, we paid high prices. We paid some high prices To follow the cloud. We paid some high prices in order to to, to move with the glory of God. I'm I'm telling you, there's some high prices. I'm not going to go down the list of all the prices that my household had to pay. That my wife and I determined were worth the paying of that price in order to pursue God. But you see, my children are the benefactors of those price-paying events. You see, they didn't have to pay as many prices, and I'm glad for that. I, I, I don't want them to have to, to suffer if I, if I can keep them from sacrificing some things. I, 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 want, I want to be a good parent and make sure that they're tended to. And, and I don't want them to learn things the hard way like I had to learn them. But my concern is, is that I had, I had a passion. There was a passion and, and there was a desire to press after God because I had seen with my eyes, I've seen, I have seen blind eyes clouded over milky, blind as a bat, suddenly clear and open. You see that once in your life and you'll be messed up forever. I've been in meetings and seen them come in in walkers. I've seen them in meetings come in ambulances. And I know the story, and it's not fake, and it's not contrived, and it's not set up. I understand there are charlatans that are out there. I I understand. But I've seen with my own eyes the real deal. And you see it once, you're messed up forever. But there's a generation that's not seen these things. They've heard the stories. They've heard us testify. They've listened to us say, I remember, I remember when God moved so powerfully at that time. And it's not that they won't listen and they don't hear. But there's a difference in that next generation. For us, it was a big deal to raise our hands in the house of God. For us, when we started to jump up and down, that was a big deal in the house of God. For us to lay hands on people, it was a big deal because for some of us, we got kicked out of places when we did that. 
But there's a generation that has watched us raise hands and jump up and down and lay hands and seen just little dribbles of the power of God. They have seen these things. But if they don't get, if they don't get encountered by just the full of God, it may not change them. And, and so he's praying, protect, protect the little one. So they fasted for the next generation. Oh God, let them, let them see for themselves your glory. Don't let them take it off my account. Let them experience it themselves. And they prayed for that. And then finally, number three, they petitioned God to protect their possessions. It says here that they asked God to, to protect what it, what it was they were carrying with them along the way back to their homeland. Now, they probably didn't have much by way of personal possession, but, but I do suspect because the king had written a letter underwriting everything that they were going to do, I suspect that they had a, a good sum of money and, and other things that they had at their disposal in order to make this long journey. And as they would journey in the will of God, it was possible that there would be thieves and robbers, as I mentioned, who could potentially steal what they had. And so they fasted and they said, Lord, Lord, protect protect what we have it's not just for us it's it's for it's for you and the restoration of true worship now my personal feeling here is that if we've lost anything in our nation and in the culture of church life i think we've lost these three elements has there ever been a time when we needed guidance more than we've needed it today folks we live in an age where we decide things based on opinion polls and popularity and convenience. Do you understand? And I'm not making a statement. I, I, have, I have written off in my mind both political parties. So what I'm about ready to say is not a partisan statement. But folks, if, if we want to get a nation working again, if we want to get a nation safe again, I, I, I no longer believe that man has the wisdom to get us there. We have got to get the wisdom of God again. In these decisions. How are we going to protect ourselves from terrorists? How are we going to talk civil to one another again? How are, we going to, how are we going to move forward? Unless we get wisdom from above. I mean in this atmosphere that we're living in. How are we going to, how are we going to lead our kids into a restored house of worship? How do you guide a generation that's consumed with entertainment and technology. And iPods and internets. I mean it is impossible we talk about this all the time. I talk about it with Pastor Noah, Pastor Tyler. We talk about how do you solicit the attention of a generation that has all these entertainment features in front of them that in just, a, just at a finger's width can access the World Wide Web that have all the different Wii's and all the things you can do on the Wii system and the Nintendo systems and then they come to church. How in the world when they come to church can we solicit their attention and we think, listen to me, we think that if we just get more technology that people will tie into the living God. And that's not true. His presence has to come again. And His presence doesn't come just because you get the latest technology. His presence comes when you pray and you fast and solicit it back. That's why I was telling you, we've got to redig some of the ancient wells. Some of the things that we let go because we thought they were passe, we need to pick up again. God doesn't come out of a complex 
organization. He comes when the simplicity of people's hearts just cry out to him and say, I need you and I want you. Has there ever been a time when we needed to protect our little ones like today? Today, our little ones are exposed to every kind of danger and perversion imaginable with just one click of the button. Do you understand that just one pop-up on their computer and then one click of the button and they are forever scarred? Has there ever been a time when we needed to pray and ask God somehow to protect our little ones? In Jeremiah 6.15, there's a verse that's interesting. It says this, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Now now you need to just keep that verse and, and, and just meditate on it a little bit. Because what Jeremiah is saying there is that in his day he came in contact with a generation much like the generation we're coming in contact with. I call it an unblushable generation. Things that would have made grandma and grandpa gasp in horror. Doesn't even make us blush anymore. This generation is so used to it that they no longer blush and are embarrassed, but they giggle. Things that come through commercials on the television set, lifestyles, activities. We get all the grisly details of our celebrities and sports stars and all their debacles and affairs. And no, nobody ever blushes anymore. Nobody ever holds their ears anymore. No, we giggle. And Jeremiah says, what has happened? Has the day come where we won't even blush? We have lost a sense of the holy and the sacred. And it's time that we... We, we, you can't legalize this. You've got to fast and pray the presence of God back into this. We want to legislate everything. Legislation does nothing but poke at a carnal heart. But you get in the presence of God, you'll be like Isaiah, who said, I am a man undone. For I dwell in the midst of a people who have unclean lips, and I have unclean lips because he was in the presence of God. You don't have to hammer people's heads with this stuff. You just got to get God on the scene. And man, when God's on the scene, it's amazing what can begin to happen. But we've got to fast. We've got to pray. Has there ever been a time we needed to protect what it is that God has given to us today? Whatever economic hardship comes, we certainly know that, that crime has been on the increase and the possibility of loss has increased. And all of us here would like to be enlarged. I know all of us would like to have the ability to prosper and to, to be able to provide in, in greater and, and better ways. But I can assure you on the road to restoration that spiritually there will be enemies whose sole job assignment in your life is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The enemy's job description is to somehow keep you from God's purposes in your life. And if we are called to be the voice of reformation and restoration, we need to just wake up and no longer be ignorant, brethren, of the schemes of the enemy, but understand that he has set ambushes for us. But that is not to solicit your fear. It's to understand that when God is on the scene, he begins to reveal those ambushes so that you will not be taken down. 
But we're going to have to begin to pray and fast for these things to happen again in our life. Now, there are two elements of praying and fasting that are repeatedly referred to throughout the scripture as a form of warfare in the spirit realm. Prayer and fasting. These two elements together are a form of warfare in the scripture. Ezra knew that it was not only their success that was on the line, but they had bragged to everyone about how great their God was, and if their travel was thwarted by the enemy, that they would ultimately be stopped or driven back because, because God would come through and God's name was on the line and, and, and Ezra had spoken these things out loud. How many of you know sometimes we testify about the Lord and we testify ourselves into a corner? We say, God is good. He's done wonderful things. My God will see me through. My God will break through from me. And you know what? The world hears that. And now all of a sudden, you and the Lord are on the line. You know, it's interesting that the church at large has had a voice at one time through the media, the television, the radio, other venues. We've bragged about God's greatness, and He is great. He's everything we've said He is and more. But the scripture tells us, and this is what I believe it's asking of us, it's time we pushed away some food. I don't know what God's talked to you about. He's talked to our house and, and we've entered into what we feel like we need to be doing. But, but it is time we pushed away some food and we sought him in a way that he prescribes to see what we have said about him come to pass. The world will come running to the light when they see it work in our lives. The Lord is calling us to lead this generation and even the next generation into the house of worship where his presence dwells. But folks, our kids won't change and this generation won't change until the presence of God once again comes to his house. And we're going to have to do some warfare fasting in order to see that presence come again. Now, I'm going to just take another few minutes and I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read this familiar passage real quickly. And um, when you hear it, you're going to say to yourself, what in the world, pastor, has that got to do with fasting? Just hang on. I'll get there. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. I just want you to stay with me. I want you to listen to this because we're talking about we're going to have to contend with the enemy through our fasting. Ephesians 6 and 10, Paul writes these words. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everyone say whole armor. Maybe some of your versions will say full armor. You know what that means, don't you? It means every piece. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is, this is an important point. I think it's really important for us to get a hold of one more time. You know, in the Old Testament, we find that the children of Israel were wrestling with real flesh and blood enemies. They were fighting Amalekites and jebusites and midianites and you know all the different ites they were they were fighting with with people flesh and blood and when we read the old testament we have to read it with the lenses of the new and understand that that people really aren't our problem the enemy is our problem 
Now, the enemy uses people, no doubt about it, just like God uses people. You know, a lot of times God breaks through, but he breaks through using people in our lives. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but the enemy uses people as well. That's why Paul said here that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see, because the truth of the matter is when we're in adversity and, and that adversity is being represented by a person, what we automatically want to do is we want to slap the fire out of the person. Don't we? We want to take them in a back room and work them over. I'll do a little spiritual warfare on you. I'll lift my hand under the Lord and lay hands on your head. Pow! That's what we want to do. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That doesn't mean it, the devil doesn't come through flesh and blood. It doesn't mean that's what we're wrestling with. He says, but against principalities, against powers. He just begins to develop the hierarchy here against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so there is this hierarchical setup that the enemy has over people and territories and cities and nations. And, and, and you know, the enemy can't be everywhere at once. He's not God. And so he sets up his evil, uh, his evil domain under sort of like a military hierarchy. I suspect he got that from the Lord himself because all the enemy can do is counterfeit, not create. And so he set everything up with his minions over different areas of the world and people's lives and neighborhoods. And, and he says here that you've got to begin to understand that your problem, listen, listen Washington DC, I, I, I've got gripes with with the administration. I got gripes with every administration. I've got gripes with the Congress. I got gripes with Columbia. I got gripes with the school board. But we've got to start understanding that people aren't the root issue. It is the enemy working in people. That's the issue. And until we in the church start getting our eyes and understanding what's going on behind the scenes, it isn't going to be fixed. Voting one out and one in hasn't changed anything, has it? Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he tells us all the different parts of the full armor. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is... The word of God. Now, he says, listen, if we're going to withstand the evil one in the day of adversity, he says that we have to put on, come on, let's all say it one more time. Say, put on, I must put on, say that, I must put on the whole armor of God. Now, I know some have taught that you need to literally say out loud every morning, I put on this, I put on, I mean, you know, if that, if that helps you, cool. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that you've got to come to a revelational awareness. In other words, something is clicked on the inside. That you understand that there are things that you have to be wearing. Certain things you have to, you have to be, be cognizant that you've got on spiritually in order to stand the adversity that's coming your way. Now, I, I, some people don't want to hear this. I'm sorry if you don't want to hear it, but we always believe, as I've said, in truth in advertising. If you're going to walk with God, there's going to be adversity. I wish I could tell you, come and receive Jesus and your life gets perfect and nothing goes wrong. 
Sometimes you accept Jesus and everything goes wrong. Everything goes haywire. You know, you know why that is? It's because you're being pulled out of one system and being planted in another. And God is good and he will help you untangle all of that. But you've, you've got to have the wherewithal and the stick and the perseverance and the tenacity to keep on keeping on. And a part of your responsibility, it doesn't say God will put on, it says you put on. You put on these things and you will be able to stand in the day of adversity. One of my favorite holiday movies is um, the old uh, Danny K. Bing Crosby movie, White Christmas. Everybody, seen, everybody had to have seen White Christmas. I mean, if you've never seen White Christmas, your Christmas is not complete. Your Christmas is not complete. And you got to get the full version. I mean, some of those TV versions, they cut out too much of the stuff. I've watched it so many times, I know when they're cutting stuff out now. But the last scene of the movie, because it revolves around these, these ex-army buddies who go into entertainment, and then they run into their former general commander who owns this ski lodge and has fallen on tough economic times. And so they decide they're going to do something to help him. And so they call back the, 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 the unit or whatever size it was uh, that he commanded. And so they call all the guys back in order to do a surprise thing for him. And a part of it was that they were going to be dressed in the same uniforms that they were the night of a, of a, a notable happening that took place during World War II and in, in their lives. And so in this movie, you see all the, the men and their families coming in order to get to this ski lodge, and they're all in back rooms trying to get their uniforms on. And now you got to understand, they're all retired military men. They're wanting to come honor their general, and it shows them putting on their uniforms. And you know where this is going, don't you? Ain't none of them fitting. None of them are fitting. Why? Because in order to stay fit and trim, you must be an active soldier. See, they were retired soldiers. And so life had gotten good. They'd gotten soft. They went on with their lives. And now it came time to put the uniform back on again. And, and, and they, couldn't, they couldn't fit into their uniforms because they weren't active soldiers anymore. And the point I'm trying to make here is that Paul says that you and I are to be active soldiers. But for many of us, we retire from this active duty way too soon. And what happens is we grow spiritually fat and the Lord showed me that part of our problem is that we can't fit into our armor anymore. Oh, that breastplate. Oh, dear God, that doesn't fit like it used to. I can't breathe. I mean, I want you to get this picture. It, it doesn't fit anymore. You, you say, well, what do we do? What do we do? We fast. You want to fit into your uniform again? You want to get back into the hunt again? You want to find victory again? You want to overcome your adversaries again? We've got to begin to fast and we got to pray. And what happens is we begin to fast and pray spiritually. Oh, I wish this worked in the natural, but it works spiritually. That we'll begin to one more time begin to develop the spiritual stuff that will cause that armor to fit on us in such a way that it will not only look good, but it'll be effective. 
I'll not just be stylish Christian. I'll be a frontline Christian. I also believe that fasting sharpens my blade. I believe it sharpens the sword of the spirit. Nothing short of God's purposes are at stake, folks. And God has called us at the beginning of the year to pray and to fast. And yes, there'll be adversities even through 2010. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that the hand of our God will be upon us. And he will see us from Babylon to his restored place of worship. And I don't know about you, I'm getting there. I want you to get there too. I'll share this and then I'm done. Recently, because of all of our difficulties that we've had as a nation with what we've called, well, I don't know what we call it anymore. It used to be called the war on terror. It used to be called, now I think, it, I think our president called it the war on Al-Qaeda. I, I don't know what we're calling it. I call it demonic. That's what I call it. We think horses and chariots are going to fix this. We, we don't even know where to send them. And, and because of our political correctness and we're all so afraid we're going to be insensitive to somebody, we, uh, we've not wanted to say or do anything wrong that could potentially offend other religions or people. And I understand. I mean, I, I'm not out to offend anybody. I, I, it's not my intention to offend anybody. I, I've had people say before when I've preached the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, they say, don't you alienate people? When you say that, I said, it's not my idea. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I didn't make that up. That's what Jesus said. And uh, I suspect there's an exclusivity in every religion. Why doesn't everybody get upset with Muslims when I can go to their Koran and I can point out the fact that they're commanded under the Koran and no one has told me any differently that a part of the job of a good Muslim is to kill infidels and Jews and Gentiles. It's in there. It's in there. I know of no other interpretation. They haven't told me how else to interpret it. But because of the era we are in, we are so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. We live in the era where we'll blush at nothing, but we'll offend everyone. And uh, the word crusade has taken on this connotation that we can't say anymore because, you know, back back in the uh, uh, 12th century and 13th century, you know, the Crusades and, 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 you know, Christians in the church fought Muslims and, you know, it, it makes them, you know, weird when you say this stuff. Listen to me real quickly. Most people don't even understand the reason for the Crusades. I'm not suggesting that everything that the popes did through the, crusade, through the Crusades was right. Or of God. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting anything like that. I understand, I understand the history of the Catholic Church better than most Catholics understand it. I understand that there were problems and, and there were deceptions and there were things that were done in the name of Jesus that were absolutely over the top and evil. I get it. But nobody ever, nobody ever says how this whole thing got started because, because the Muslims went in and conquered the Jewish homeland. And a lot of these crusades were to restore that which had been originally given to God's people. Nobody talks about that. Be that as it may, my point this morning is not to give you a history lesson as much as it is to say that one of the, one of the rallying points of the crusades when they would march into battle, they would use the Latin word deus volt. 
which literally mean God, God wills it. God wills it. You say, well, what, did, what does that mean? What it meant was is that as they were going back to the Holy Land, as they were going back to the place that they considered to be God's address, as they were going back to Jerusalem, as they were going back to restore these things back to God, that the rallying cry was deus volt, God wills it. Can I just share this with you? God is calling us to another crusade. Now listen to me. This isn't a crusade uh, with military weapons. This isn't a crusade of guns and grenades and tanks. This isn't that kind of crusade. This is a spiritual crusade. Because this battle, this battle we face in our own personal lives and this battle we face as a nation isn't going to be solved, folks. I'm telling you, you can't beat terrorism with an army. If we don't get this now, if we don't get this as a nation, we don't know. We don't know where to send our army next to stop this because you can't fix this kind of evil with an army. The only way you can fix this is by the power of God. The only way this nation will be safe again is when we determine we're going to get on our knees and we're going to go back to the ancient wells and we're going to begin to do the things which make for peace. And the beginning place of that is to pray. And to fast. And out of that, God will begin to move again in our lives. His presence will come and protect us, our households, our families, our nation. He's done it before. He can do it again. We're so convinced that a jillion dollars in the military can fix it all. And I'm for a strong military. But it isn't going to stop people that are possessed by evil. Nobody wants to say that anymore. It is evil. It is wrong. It is the devil. And the only way you can face off the devil is by using spiritual weapons. Two of which we're entering into these 21 days. We fast and we pray. Why? Deus vault. God wills it. God wills it. Stand with me, will you? Is it possible to get some musicians, Laura? Can we get some musicians? And as they're moving to the front, I'm going to pray right now. Father, I ask right now that you be faithful as you always are in these moments. Let your Holy Spirit begin to move in this place upon people, their situations, their lives, their circumstances. You know, a lot of times when I come down to the end of the service, I don't really know when service starts what I'm going to do. And I sort of wait for the moment and try to get a sense of what God would have us do before we close. You know, some of you are in a battle right now. It might be a a simple battle for just maybe a bill getting paid or... You're frustrated because maybe a job opening hasn't taken place or it's just a frustrating relational time. And, and those things are, are important battles that need to be won. But some are in this room today and you're really in life and death struggles. I, I, I mean, futures are at stake. It could be families that are at stake. Kids are at stake. Marriages are at stake. I mean the the stakes are high and truth of the matter is that that you've not been pulling out many wins lately 
And I believe the word of the Lord for you is it's time for that to change. That God wills right now that victory comes into your situation and circumstance. I believe it is the heart of God for you to overcome and for you to be triumphant. I believe the time has come for the enemy to be defeated and for the ambush that caught you that one time to be exposed so it will never catch you again. It is time for you to listen to my voice as if I were an Ezra. And and I'm nowhere even near that category. But as if this voice of mine were the voice of Ezra who would look at you and say, it is time to go back to that place where God dwelled, the house of the Lord, the restored sense of His presence. His name is on the line, but He can be trusted to do what He says He will do. And if you have stepped into a fast and if you're willing to seek His face, our God can be counted on to prevail in your situation. And before we go this morning, this is what I want to do. I want to pray for those that are in the battle right now. I just feel like the Lord said that that some of His people are in a battle right now. And I don't know how you would define it, but it's significant to you. And it's time you got some victory in that thing. And I'm going to ask you to slip out and come to the wells of the church and just say, "I, I, I need some victory in the battle that I'm facing before I go this morning pastor I want you to agree with me I want you to agree with me that there's some victory that begins to be unleashed once again in my life God's called it God wills that you enter into the battle that God wills that you don't give up quit God wills that you're in a crusade don't fear the outcome God be for us. Who can be against us? Isn't that true? Did he not say that we would triumph in all things? Come on, agree with me right now, those of you that have gathered. Father, we're just setting ourselves in agreement right now. Just as you're praying with me, just say, I'm agreeing with pastor. If any two agree on earth... One will send a thousand and two will send ten thousand. Come on, we're going to do some damage today to the domain of darkness before we go. Lord, we agree together in the name of Jesus that your word is true and that you called us to prevail and to overcome and to triumph in our circumstances. Lord, that doesn't mean everything shakes out exactly like we would have wanted it, but it always shakes out perfectly in your will and in your timing, and we have absolute trust in you. But Lord, right now, we're needing once again to get sharpened in the battle. We need right now in the name of Jesus, say, I put on, come on, I put on the full armor of God that I will stand and I shall prevail against the of the enemy I believe come on God is turning the tables on the enemy even now what the enemy meant for evil God is working and turning it into good my God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to a purpose. That's me. 
I lay hold of it again. I'm in the battle. I'm in the hunt. The armor fits. I'm up and going. I shall prevail. Greater is He who's in me than He that's in the world. I'm enlarging my territory. I'm taking back what was stolen. I'm declaring 2010 to be my year of victory. All things, come on now, all things are coming back and being restored. In Jesus' name, come on now, put your hands together. Yet, you got to soak for a minute because you got to get the spirit of a warrior back in you. You got to get the spirit of a warrior back in you. Ezra said he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed to have to take help from the king. Now, listen, we all need help on occasions. I want to make sure I say we all need help on occasions. We all need tangible people to come and help us at times, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know what I just I picked up out of that? There are moments that you've got to settle it with God. And you and God have got to just stake it out that He is who He says He is. I mean, be glad that people are compassionate and kind and loving and giving and benevolent, but there are times that you and God just gotta settle it. Say, God, it's you and me. Your name's on the line. I've shot my mouth off so many times. I've, I've told people how great you are. I've told people that you can do anything. I've, I've shouted when Pastor told me to shout. I've quoted verses. I've said, and everybody's heard me. They've all heard me. I can't go back now. So, Lord, your name's on the line. And I'm, to be candid with you, I am now embarrassed to say in any way, shape, or form that it doesn't work with you. I'm just embarrassed. I cannot do that. So, Lord, I'm stepping into the hunt. I'm stepping into the battle. And Lord, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my testimony. Come on, listen to me. You gotta get your testimony. I had to go one day get my testimony. I had to I had to get my I had to get my moment with God. I had to see my victory. I had to know it wasn't just people around me being nice to me. I had to see that it was God moving in my life. And it couldn't be explained any other way except God did it. Lord, I step into it right now. I'm suited. I'm fully armored. Forgive me, Lord, for being a little out of shape. The uniform wasn't fitting so good a while back. But this morning, Lord, I'm fasting and I'm praying. And we're getting that armor fitting real good. And I'm going to prevail in the name of Jesus. Won't be because of me. It'll be because of you in me. And I'm going to prevail. Lord, we're on the line. And I believe, Lord, it's at that moment that you can come through. So, Lord, right now, I just pray that that spirit would begin to soak into your people down front here. Come on, soak in that thing. Some of you have left altars. You've come to altars before. You walked out the door, and you walked out, and you lost it right when you went out the last door. This morning, you've got to say, not today. When I go out those glass doors, you're going to have some cold air hit you. 
and let that be like the enemy blowing at you, saying, You're not, it's not going to change. It ain't going to be any different. You just set your face in that cold glass and say, I, I am I am getting out of my Babylon. This place of confusion, I'm getting out of my Babylon and I'm going back to that restored place of the presence of God. I'm going back. I may not get there as fast as I want, and others may think I ought to get there faster, but I will get back. I'll get there. I'm going to get there. The Lord is putting that in your spirit right now. You've got to get that in your spirit. You are the Lord of the battle. Lord, unless you do this thing in us experientially, it will never change. Lord, do it right now. I see the men that are down here. Lord, these men, I know these men. They are so, they're, these are tough men, God. They're tough in the business world. They're, they're tough in so many areas, Lord. And I, they're men. But Lord, make them tough right now in the things of the Spirit. Lord, I know, I know many of these ladies and they're, they're kind and they're gentle and they're sweet-spirited. And, and a lot of them are mercy motivated and, and that's such a wonderful thing but Lord it is time that, that the toughness of the spirit got in them again for the battle and Lord as a church but everybody in the house can agree with me and as a church Lord we believe that we will we will pursue and we will make it and we will see with our own eyes not just us but the next generation shall see with our own eyes the greatness of our God. Hallelujah. Come on, we're warfare fasting. Warfare praying. The battle is the Lord.
But Lord, I, I, I pray right now that what has taken place could not be easily lost. But Lord, what you've imparted will not evaporate. But that through the rest of these 21 days, Lord, it will be some of our boot camps to get ready for victory on the battlefield. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that. Thank you, Lord, that that you're giving us guidance right now. Your guidance is coming. Thank you, Lord, that you're protecting the little ones, whether they be our children, the young people, whether they be new in the faith. You're protecting the little ones. And Lord, you're beginning to surround even our household possessions and, and you're restoring to us those things that are rightly to be in our hands. Whether it be to meet our need or whether it be for kingdom purpose. Lord, I thank you that, that the enemy will no longer steal, kill, and destroy us. We're going to believe you for everything. For total and complete victory. Nothing less. We're not going halfway across. We're going all the way. All the way. Lord, put that in your people's heart as I release them this morning. Lord, let them be full, full of, of the triumph of God. Let them be overcomers. Lord, let them sense the victory that can only come from you. And, and Lord, I just seal it in each one of them right now. In Jesus' incredible, matchless name, I pray. Amen. And amen and amen. In God good. In God good. Now this is, this is, listen, now, I know it's between you and God and we talked about that, but it does, it really does help to get a hug around the neck or a handshake or whatever it is and to hear someone look at you and say, you're, gonna, you're an overcomer and you're going to make it. You're, you're going to prevail. You're not going to be taken out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. God's going to cause that to happen. Come on now, greet one another one more time in fellowship before you go. And let God move through that moment to give you strength. Hey, we hope we see the men Tuesday night. Don't forget, guys, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, we're teaching. It's going to be a great month and it's going to be a great year. God bless you. You're released.